You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. You can notice that we're live today. Well, well, if you didn't notice, we're live today. Uh, this is the first time we're doing this. Obviously, I am normally joined by Belle Garcia. Belle uh, has some things that she's working on right now, so she's not able to join us this week. But Belle, don't worry. We'll have Belle back this upcoming week. Uh, we're fast, uh, fast approaching September here uh, in our Seattle sports teams, and many of them are still in the thick of playoff hunts. Uh, the Storm are in the WNBA playoff semis right now. The Mariners are currently in the second wild card spot in the American League. The Sounders are having a tough time. The playoffs are still technically, mathematically in reach, but it's a tough go right now. And the Rain are quickly. Uh, adding points and trying to climb the ladder in the NWSL playoffs, but they've got a spot at the moment. So all this talk about playoffs, but our lead team, the Seahawks are currently just wrapping up their preseason, getting through uh, roster cuts and heading into the regular season. So that's where we're going to start off. As usual, we're going to head straight over to our Seattle Seahawks news uh, this past week played their uh, preseason finale against the Cowboys on an AT&T stadium. We head over to that. Seattle would lose that game 27 to 26, unfortunately. Uh, several opportunities at the end of that game there to try and pull that one out. Uh, I know that the starter for this game was supposed to be Drew Locke, but last week uh, with COVID, he was unable to do so. So, uh Instead, it would be Geno Smith getting the start against Chicago. And then this week against Dallas, Drew Locke did get plenty of th- uh, playing time through three interceptions. One of them may not have been his fault, but at the end of the day, stats show three picks. Um, and Seattle wasn't able to get that done. Immediately after, Geno Smith would be named the quarterback for week one against Denver. And we will get into that in a minute. But we do have some other things that we have to look at before that. Uh, our players of the game offensively and defensively. On the offensive side of the ball, I went with DJ Dallas. Dallas, with the injuries to Ken Walker and Rashad Penny, has really showed out the last two weeks. This week's uh, 13 carries for 75 yards and a touchdown, two receptions for nine yards through the air. So, as I just mentioned there, with Rashad Penny out uh, the past two weeks out with a groin injury and this week out with COVID, um, he's supposed to be essentially your number one starter, not having him. For any of these preseason games, Ken Walker has been dealing with that hernia surgery that he just had and may be ready for week one. We'll address that in a second. Uh, but that those two open the door uh, in a big way for DJ Dallas and DJ South Dallas in my opinion, has really showed out and really taken taken advantage of those circumstances that he's been given. Uh, I think he's really solidified himself as perhaps the third running back on this roster. You probably look at those first two guys that we mentioned uh, in Dallas, I mean, pardon me, in Walker and in Penny, but with the uncertainty right now of those two, perhaps for week one, it opens the door for Dallas to take some meaningful snaps, at least in the beginning of the season. 
Looking over here to the defensive side of the ball, I went with linebacker Joel DeBlanco. DeBlanco, an undrafted linebacker, uh, 12 total tackles, three solo, half a sack, one pass deflection, and a quarterback hit against Dallas. Uh, DeBlanco is one of those guys that, you know, an undrafted guy. We look throughout the history of the NFL. Undrafted guys can still make an impact, but it's very tough. Uh, a good example is uh, Doug Baldwin. Baldwin, undrafted guy, one of the better wide receivers in Seahawks history. Now, DeBlanco with uh, Jordan Brooks, essentially your top dog at linebacker with Bobby Wagner gone, um, has really worked himself uh, into a nice little role. He led the team in tackles against Pittsburgh in week one, kind of went down a tick against Chicago, but I mean, made an impact here against Dallas, not only with the tackles, but... Uh, the past deflection as well. So in the air, uh, I will be really intrigued to see if DeBlanco is able to work himself onto this roster. And I say that and it kind of seems a little silly, but the Seahawks in the past have gone away from guys who have potentially showed out in the preseason. Uh, a key example for that for me is Cason Williams. I believe it was 2018, had a great preseason, didn't actually end up making the 53-man roster. I would, if I'm a betting man, which I'm not, I know we got sports books and all that now, I would say that DeBlanco is going to be on the 53 man. And if not the 53 man, he'll make practice squad. But great performances from DeBlanco there. Um, just, you know, you wish it would have been in a win. So tough loss there, but we get with preseason, it's perfect for guys to take advantage of opportunities, just like with those two past players of the games and get real big information. The biggest piece of info in Seahawks land and technically in the NFL uh, in regards to Seattle is the quarterback situation. And this past week, it was announced right after that Dallas game that Geno Smith would be named the starting quarterback for week one against Denver. I know this has drawn some ire. We've gotten some comments about it. Um, but Gino's going to be the starting quarterback. Uh, that's what Pete Carroll has said. Um, they seem pretty firm on that. And that sort of looked like what the decision would be uh, as the preseason went on. I know that I've been a proponent of Drew Locke. That didn't work out. I still think that Locke can start a few games throughout this 17-game regular season. Um, that's just not how it's gone. Gino Smith is a guy who's obviously familiar with the ones. Uh in the Seahawks organization has the most experience with them. Definitely knows the playbook better, I would assume. And it just seems like, I guess the most steady option for Pete Carroll in his offense is something that was talked about through the remainder of the season after Russell Wilson got injured was taking care of the football. And if we look at this preseason, uh, Locke didn't do that. I believe over the past two weeks, there's four interceptions uh, between the games against Chicago and Dallas for Locke. So Tough, tough go of it, but uh, I believe that we'll see Locke sooner rather than later. Maybe not necessarily starting, but getting some time uh, in these regular season games. So that's the big decision. I know that was a big question throughout the offseason. Once uh, Russell Wilson uh, was traded to Denver, we have our decision. Geno Smith will start week one. He gets the top spot in the depth chart for the quarterback position. Uh, we look over to injury-related news. Um, as we were talking about, Rashad Penny uh, contracted COVID over the past week on August 25th. So he would miss that preseason finale against Dallas. And I, as we said, did not play in those previous uh, preseason games due to a groin injury. So I know maybe some fans are worried about it, considering that Penny's had some issues with injuries in the past. 
going to stay on the optimistic side and hope that this is not something to see for the regular season because if Seattle can get anything close to what they had from Penny throughout the end of that regular season, Seattle's going to have a good running game, especially with some of the newer tooled offensive linemen in Charles Cross and Abe Lucas. But got to get there first, got to get Penny back healthy, and we'll see that. Um, Not entirely sure on his week one status, but in terms of week one, we move over to the next part of injury news. August 27th, Ken Walker could be back by week one. Pete Carroll has said that the rookie running back is working his way towards a return and is on track for that. So we'll keep you updated on that. not for sure again, but to get that one-two punch of a guy who was the top running back in the nation last year and whatever Penny was doing at the end of last season to really show out and be a, a monster of a running back, Seattle would have a good one-two punch and would really help Smith at quarterback. Um, on the 28th, unfortunately, the team placed cornerback Trey Brown on the reserve slash physically unable to perform list. So Brown will seemingly be out for a little bit. Uh, dealing with injury. I know that that corner spot, cornerback spot is also an interesting situation. There's a mix of veterans and Artie Burns, Sidney Jones, Justin Coleman, as well as rookies in, well, Trey Brown's now a second year guy, but uh, the rookies in Tariq Woolen, Kobe Bryant. So there's uh, definitely some spots for opportunity in the cornerback room. And unfortunately, Trey Brown will not be able to join immediately. Um, as he's been put on the pup list. Looking over at team-related news, on the 24th, Shaquem Griffin announced his retirement. The former four-year veteran has stepped away from the game. Former Seahawks drafted, well, uh, joined Seattle, uh, became an instant sensation with his combine, you know, really stood out there as a player with only one hand. Uh, We got to play with his brother Shaquille Griffin, and that there was a great moment in the, the 2019 playoffs where those two combined for a sack of Aaron Rodgers. That was one of my favorite photos that I've seen in a while was those two sharing a handshake after that sack. But Shaquem has decided to hang him up and he will join the NFL Legends community. So that is nice to see that Shaquem will be staying in the realm of football just in a different capacity. Uh, as we mentioned, Geno Smith named the starter against Dallas. And on the 28th, the team made four roster cuts, including linebacker Aaron Donker from Germany and tight end Kate Brewer, as well as running back Ronnie Rivers. So as we were talking about, as we approach week one, even in these next coming days before uh, that week one matchup against Denver, Seattle will have to make the tough decisions, have to see who they want to prioritize. They could bring back guys later on in the year, practice squad, but Cutting down from about 75 down to 53 is a difficult decision. Uh, when some of these guys, this is their livelihood. This is what they're trying to do. It's their dream. But Seattle has to make a decision, especially considering that John Schneider and Pete Carroll, the GM and the head coach, has said that this is a year they plan on competing. So you want to make a competitive roster, you got to make some tough decisions. Uh, looking at our record and standings here, the Seahawks sit at an 0-3 preseason record, so they finish out winless in the preseason. Uh, things get a little bit more serious here as we go to the regular season, uh, but that isn't for a little bit. That's on September 12th, as you can see here, versus the Broncos with a 5.15 p.m. start time. That is a Monday night football game. Um, but yes, as you can see, there's a little bit of time before then. So important decisions to be made for Seattle, uh, and you'll probably see some of these roster moves made uh, in the coming days even. 
we now switch over to our Mariners here, you know, to continue with what I was sort of pumping up in the beginning of the show about playoffs. Seattle played a bad Washington team and then a Cleveland team that, uh, depending on how the AL Central race goes, we could see this Cleveland team back in the wild card battle. They're not currently there right now because they lead their division. But with the way that they've been playing as of late, the series win that Seattle got, not to spoil things, but the series win that Seattle got this past homestand, Cleveland may be having to deal uh, with a wild card spot. So let's get into that recap here. Uh, two games against Washington to begin a six-game homestand, August 23rd and 24th. The 23rd, a 4-2 to win. Our player of the game, third baseman Eugenio Suarez. One hit, two RBIs, uh, one run and a walk. August 24th versus the Nationals game two, a 3-1 to one loss. That one a little hard to stomach considering that Washington has twice as many losses as they do wins. Excuse me, our player of the game, center fielder Julio Rodriguez. Julio, one hit, one run, one guy. It would be the solo homer in the bottom of the eighth that would actually tie the game in the bottom of the eighth. But reliever Paul Sewald would give up a two-run homer in the top of the ninth, and Seattle would be unable to rally and come back from that one. So that's a tough series. This is a Washington baseball team that – as I mentioned, they're not necessarily a good team on the record books, but it's baseball. You play 162 games. Eventually, you're going to have to lose a few here and there, right? And even to the bad teams. So we, we shift our focus from that Washington two-game stretch over to this four-game slot against the Cleveland Guardians. Cleveland, a, a good team. You know, they're leading their division right now. They're two games ahead of the Minnesota Twins. They've got a lot of talent. They're very similar to Seattle in a lot of regards. They've got good pitching. Uh, they don't strike out a lot. Well, not in that regard, but they're similar in many different forms. Uh, we look towards that series here beginning on the 25th of August, which was a game on YouTube TV uh, versus Cleveland, a three to one win in that first game of the series. Our player of the game, Mitch Hanniger. Hanniger uh, would have the three run homer on the bottom of the first. That would be the only runs for Seattle and Seattle would never give up that lead. He would also be the YouTube player of the game. As I mentioned, that game was streamed on YouTube. Um, on the 26th, that game on Friday versus the Guardians, a 3-2 to two win. This game going into 11 innings. Once again, our player of the game is Mitch Hanniger as he had the walk-off single in the bottom of the 11th to send that game home to take the two-game series lead against Cleveland. August 27th versus Cleveland, the day that Ichiro Suzuki was inducted into the Mariners Hall of Fame, which we will talk about more in depth here in a minute. Uh, unfortunately, a 4-3 to three loss. The Mariners could not get the win for Ichiro that night, as well as with the rest of the Mariners, almost all of the Mariners Hall of Fame in, in the building. Our player of the game, pitcher Luis Castillo, uh, the new Mariner, well, relatively new Mariner, um, Put on a great performance, only allowing one run uh, through six innings pitched, uh, but ultimately couldn't get the win despite the great pitching. On the 28th, to wrap up the series uh, on Sunday, the Mariners would beat Cleveland 4 to nothing. so a nice shutout victory. Our player of the game, pitcher Robbie Ray. Ray going seven innings, three hits, no runs, uh, no walks, and seven strikeouts. This matchup on the 28th was a little difficult because you come off of that win against the uh, come off of that loss. Pardon me. On the 27th, Seattle hit three solo home runs. And that was historic, not in a good way, as the Mariners became the first team since 1903 to have three homers in a game and no other base runners. That's 1903 this in, in any capacity that's pretty wild um so you can see the limited number of hits kind of stacking up and you know 
to that point, the Mariners have the lowest amount of hits in the entirety of the league since the All-Star break. This is an issue that Seattle will need to address, whether it's the coaching staff, whether it's certain slumps from players like Ty France, like Cal Raleigh, stuff like that. Those sort of issues will be need to be addressed, pardon me, if you really want to stay in that playoff race, if you want to take the number one wildcard spot and hold on to it, host those two to three games at home here at T-Mobile Park. Um, we look over here uh, to players of the game, players of the week, pardon me, uh, Julio Rodriguez, uh, pardon me, Mitch Hanniger had the big week, at least for me. I know that we look to the uh, batting average here, a little bit lower, 208, but the reason that I went with Mitch was just that since returning from the injured list, Mitch has about two or three games out, uh, out of 21 that he hasn't hit safely. Three out of 21, I mean, that's those are pretty good numbers. And you see just the value that he's able to bring because of that, being able to hit safely, being able to be a, a spot in the batting order that's not an automatic out. Um, in addition to his offensive numbers, there was an important play yesterday uh, where Hanniger caught a fly out. Uh, Robbie Ray was in a bit of trouble. Uh, easily, it could have been a sack fly that would have scored a runner from third base, but Mitch had a really great throw to hold the runner at third. Just shows a little bit of what Mitch can do defensively just the value that he adds in your order when healthy. So that was, it's, it's great to have Mitch back, uh, long story short. We look over to some injury-related news. Injury news, never fun. Uh, on the 25th, Ty France left the game against Cleveland with a right calf bruise after a collision at first base with Jose Ramirez, both two pretty pretty sizable guys running into each other is not good. And then later on in that game, uh, Will Benson, a player for Cleveland actually clipped Ty's leg and just further aggravated it. So he had to miss the rest of that game. Ty would come back and play the rest of the series and he seems fine. So luckily that's not a long-term and or serious injury, but definitely a scare there. Uh, in the 28th, JP Crawford was out with a pectoral injury, uh, Scott Service wasn't entirely sure where that came from, but he's considered day to day. Luckily, Seattle's got that day off today. Um, so get some extra rest there, but it doesn't seem like it's going to hold out Crawford for much of a, a long time period. Uh, heading over to Team Nose, and this is where things get exciting for Mariners fans. Uh, before I get to a, a big contract here, we'll, we'll still talk about Julio. On the 25th, Rodriguez would join the 2020 club. If you're unaware, that is 20 homers and 20 stolen bases. Rodriguez becomes the sixth Mariner in franchise history to achieve the feat and the first since Mike Cameron, Cammy back in 2002. Uh, he becomes the 12th rookie in all of MLB history to accomplish that mark in a single season. So Julio, uh, this week set some history and we'll get to the second part of that, but really cool to see Julio join that club. You figured it was a matter of time. Will he join 30-30? I don't know. Um, and then also on the 25th, the starter for the day, George Kirby, in that game against uh, Cleveland, set an MLB record. Kirby throws 24 consecutive strikes to begin the game, the most ever uh, to begin an MLB game. Impressive to see what Kirby has done this year, especially considering that he never pitched in AAA. Um, didn't start the year as the fifth starter, but has mitigated some some tough outings here and there against good ball clubs like Houston. Otherwise, Kirby has been pretty solid. I know that the beginning of the year, I was a little worried. You didn't have a veteran starter as your fifth guy. I looked at Tyler Anderson, someone that was a starter last year for Seattle. 
this year he went in a free agency to the Dodgers and he was an all-star. So it's like, Hey, why didn't we bring him back? But Kirby, I'm okay with it with Kirby. Um, he's been able to help, I guess, curb my enthusiasm. Um, and really settle in there as that starter. Obviously, the big news around the Mariners is Julio's contract. Julio Rodriguez signing a major deal uh, that's really intricate. And I don't want to say it's just in uh, so-and-so years and -and so-and-so money because it's more than that. It's a really unique contract for a really unique player. So let's break that down. This deal can go can either it can be four different terms of length, eight years, 13 years, 16 years, or 18 years. That's it's a long period of time. So on that, just to base it, Seattle will have Julio Rodriguez in a Mariners uniform for a decent amount of time. You don't have to worry about that. Um, it guarantees Julio at least $210 million. Um, if it is maxed out to it, the maximum that Julio can get from this contract is $470 million. So we look at that. The base of the deal is eight years and $120 million. It includes this season and goes all the way through 2029. Um, after the 2028 season, Seattle will need to decide if they want to pick up his club option. Now, this is where it gets interesting. The club option, the size and the length of that option depend on where Julio places in MVP voting. Um, the option is either for eight or 10 years on top of that original eight year deal, depending on how Rodriguez fares and MVP voting, whether it's wins and or finishes, it can range anywhere from $200 million to $350 million. Uh, if Seattle picks up that very option, Julio's guarantee in the deal is at least $320 million. This is where it becomes funny money. I mean, it's hard to quantify $100 million, let alone $320. Um, If Seattle decides to not pick up that option after year seven, Julio has a player option after year eight, that's five years and $90 million. Uh, So that would create the 13-year structure and $210 million floor. He could turn it down and hit free agency right after he becomes 30 years old, which I kind of doubt. The likeliest outcome is that Julio will be in a Mariners uniform through 2037 and makes at least $320 million. This also includes a full no trade clause. So that's a mouthful. I'll let you digest that. Um, That's a lot. That's a lot of money. And it's a lot of time for Julio to be a Mariner. Just for reference, Julio and I are the same age. We're both 21 years old. I didn't get the same athleticism and looks as he did, but you know, it's it's hard to quantify the age that this guy is, the talent that he has, and the love that he has for his city. In a uh, press conference, a press release by the Mariners, Julio essentially said that I wanted to be in Seattle. I want to win with this team, and I want to win for these fans. If that doesn't get you excited for Julio, for Mariners baseball, and doesn't make you a fan of the guy, I don't know what else will. As a guy who's been a consistent optimist of this team and this ball club, you get the comments uh, whenever there's a star player for Seattle that, oh, he'll go somewhere else. He'll get traded, which I admit has happened. Uh, baseball greats like Adam Jones, David Ortiz were in the Mariners organization at a period of time, and then they got traded away. I understand that happened in the past, but this is a different organization. Julio is a different player. So to get him for at least eight years 
is a great thing. I know that this has been a cry that people have had to get Julio extended uh, for a period of time. And it's great to see that happen. So at the end of the day, it's it's a great thing. Seattle's paying him about uh, 15 or so million a year, which is pretty solid excuse me, for a superstar of his caliber, and especially considering that he's only going to continue to grow exponentially. So all in all, a solid deal. Um, going from that to a different outfielder uh, over the past week, as we mentioned on the 27th, um, Mariners great Ichiro Suzuki was inducted into the team's Hall of Fame. He becomes the 10th member of the Hall of Fame, joining former teammates uh, Ken Griffey Jr., Edgar Martinez, Jay Buhner, uh, Dan Wilson. It was an incredible ceremony, you know, to have all of those members of the Hall of Fame, except for Jay Buhner, uh, Lou Pinella, and Randy Johnson present. Uh, from the Mariners Hall of Fame, different players uh, from his past. Raul Ibanez was there and got a loud Raul chant from the crowd. Near sold out crowd, several of the Cleveland players were in the dugout watching it as it took place. Ichiro, you know, not a native uh, English speaker, had a seven minute speech uh, and totally rocked it. I mean, it was a great speech filled with laughs. Uh, commemorating other, other players like uh, Ken Griffey Jr., who he shares a special bond with. Um, Julio Rodriguez brought uh, Ishiro Flowers out uh, before the speech took place. It was a, it was a special pregame ceremony uh, to honor a truly special player. Uh, I'll show you a great shot that our photographer here, Liv Lyons, got uh, of Ishiro. There are several other great photos, and we'll have an article out for you to really uh, document the ceremony. But all in all, a really special moment um, and really great. There were some moments that... You know, I, I will admit to you, I got a little emotional about um, seeing signs in the crowd like we named our son after you. Uh, Liv, our, as I mentioned, Liv Lyon shared a story that Liv learned Japanese because of Ichiro and just set apart. Ichiro became the first position player in all of Major League Baseball uh, from Japan. There were pitchers, but not, never a position player. And man, it was it was. Uh, you know, for a guy that I didn't grow up with Griffey uh, when he was in his prime, I basically grew up with this guy in his prime. And, you know, to be there for this ceremony, you know, uh, thank you to Converge for our partnership and to get us there for these Mariner games, right? Um, it was a special moment. It was a very special moment. And it's incredible to know that Ichiro still plays such a big part within the organization as an assistant to the chairman, which basically means Ichiro gets to be around the organization, train with them. The guy still looks like he can play. I'll tell you that admittedly, he could still play. Um, all in all, a special ceremony to celebrate a special player. And I can confirm with you that a statue and his number being retired are coming. Uh, that's just got to go through once Ishiro gets inducted into Cooperstown, the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. That is when that can happen officially. It's not confirmed that it'll happen the year he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, year after. That's just the criteria that the marriage organization sets. Once you hit Hall of Fame is then we can retire stuff like that. Um, and so... That's coming. I know I've been curious about when we see his uh, 51 retired. Maybe it's a split retirement with Randy Johnson uh, and when we see an Ichiro statue. But those are coming. It's just got to be when he hits Cooperstown. And even representatives from the Hall of Fame said that this is just a matter of time uh, before this comes out. Um, so it was it, long story short, you can tell it was a special moment. Um, 
We continue over here with some league-related notes, just some smaller things. On the 23rd, uh, the Angels could be put up for, for sale. Owner Arte Moreno has owned the Angels since 2003. In a quote, he said, I have ultimately come to the conclusion that now is the time. So this is interesting, you know, especially considering that it's intra-division uh, because it sort of seems like we could see Mike Trout traded. Shohei Otani could get traded. Or in a different light, we could see the new owner sign Otani to a mega extension to keep the team together. That'll all be decided once the team is sold. But just to keep that on your monitor, that the Angels could be put up for sale, probably will change ownership. Uh, also announced that with the coming of the 2023 uh, MLB season, which we'll showcase for you next week, uh, the, well, pardon me, Major League Baseball will participate in the Korea series, which is a series from November 9th through 16th, uh, where MLB players and KBO players, Korean baseball organization, uh, will have a sort of series there over in South Korea. It is the first time that the league is traveling to South Korea since 1922. So that'll be cool to keep an eye on. There are some uh, fun stories of KBO players um, that came to the United States and uh, players from the United States that went over to the KBO. So that'll be really cool to see how baseball is trying to grow the sport um, internationally. I almost said nationally, my apologies. We look over here to the standings and record of the team, as well as what's upcoming for the Mariners. So Seattle will go on the road now to play uh, in the Midwest, the Tigers and the, this same Guardians team, as the Mariners hold a 70 win, 58 loss record. They are still second in the American League West. They currently hold the second uh, wild card spot in the American League. They're a half game behind Tampa Bay uh, for the first overall wild card spot. Tampa Bay holds the tiebreaker over the Mariners because uh, Tampa Bay has a better record this year against us. And then the uh, Mariners are a game ahead of the Blue Jays, and the Mariners hold the tiebreaker against the Blue Jays. So uh, these are important things to note once we get to playoff time, but, you know, that's a little bit away. Uh, looking towards the next series, Seattle has today off, and then they go to Detroit to play the Tigers from August 30th uh, to September 1st. The August 30th and 31st games are for 10 p.m. first pitch times. August, and pardon me, September 1st is a 10-10 a.m. first pitch time. Uh, then they travel over to Cleveland to play this Guardians team. Again, that could be who Seattle is battling for a wild card spot, who they're jockeying for a wild card spot for. Um, that takes place from September 2nd through 4th, the first September 2nd is a 4-10 first pitch. September 3rd is a 4-15 first 10 pitch. And then September 4th is an 11-10 a.m. PS tie, uh, first, tie, first pitch, my apologies. So big opportunity for Seattle to take advantage of a bad Detroit team and then another tough challenge against this Cleveland team that I'm sure will try uh, to exact some revenge against you. We're going to stay with the sort of playoff-related theme here. Uh, the actual team that's in the playoffs, the Seattle Storm, played the first game of the WNBA playoff semifinal down in Las Vegas uh, against a Vegas team that will set the stage here for you a little bit. The Aces lead the league. Well, the Aces are great offensively and defensively, have about seven players who at times throughout the season uh, average 20 points per game. The This is a Vegas team that has a former MVP on its list uh, from last season or 
two seasons ago. Kelsey Plum, former University of Washington alumni, is great off the bench, averaging 20 points per game. Jackie Young just won a comeback player of the year. Bottom line, this Vegas team is loaded. And they have the number one seed. Seattle has a number four seed. So it's a tough challenge. And Seattle was able to look at that tough challenge and not worry about it too much. Taking game one of the series on the road, 76 of 73. Our player of the game, Jewel Lloyd, the gold mamba had 26 points, four assists, one steal, and 10 points in clutch time. Very similar to game one against the Washington Mystics. Lloyd was able to hit clutch buckets on the stretch, keep Seattle in this game, and ultimately help elevate them to a win. This is big to, I mean, I'm sure if those who watch basketball in these series, even uh, other sports that have series to take game one on the road, when you're sort of the underdog to go out and throw the first punch, this is huge uh, for Seattle to go out and really show out the first quarter. Seattle really came out swinging great offensively, was able to get buckets, dominate the boards and catch Vegas flat footed Vegas settled in in the second quarter. Down the stretch, though, very neck and neck. Vegas was able to overcome an 11-point deficit. Uh, The shooters were able to sort of get in it. But ultimately, Seattle, a great defensive team, was able to hang their hat on that all season. I was able to lock down late. Kelsey Plum attempted a late three that would have tied the game, bricked out. Seattle takes game one. Again, can't understate how big this is. Even with Seattle playing, uh, not having Gabby Williams, a great defender and recently a great uh, offensive contributor without having her in Vegas for these first two games. So this automatically guarantees that you're not getting swept and that you'll have uh, potentially two games at home. This is, well, yeah, you'll have two games at home. So this is a big deal. Um, If Seattle is obviously able to win game two, and if you've got thoughts on that, feel free to leave me a comment. Um, Then we could look at game three, which is in Seattle, and we could look at that as a clinching game. So game three, take you to the finals if you win a game in Seattle that's already continue almost uh, getting to sold out. That'll be a wild atmosphere. But this is a big game one, and to have Jewel Lloyd, who... In the uh, first, the game, one of the games against Vegas, pardon me, uh, recently only scored one point. Her next game, she scored uh, her season high in 38. It really shows who Lloyd can be. And to have a consistent Lloyd who's back to her clutch self is really big for this big three, let alone Storm down the stretch because Sue Bird poured in 12 assists. Brianna Stewart continues to play like an MVP. But, you know, to have the highs and lows that Lloyd can bring is, is a little bit of a wild card, but you can see she was very impactful here in this game. So uh, luckily, not much injury news to report to you. Uh, a little bit, though, as we look at the injury report for game one, Mercedes Russell continues to be out with those reoccurring headaches. It's currently unsure if we'll even get her back anytime soon. And as I mentioned, Gabby Williams is still out with a concussion that she suffered in game two against the Mystics. Still in concussion protocol. She did not travel with the team. So I imagine we, at best we see her in game three, but I'm not even necessarily confident on that. Again, we'll provide you with details on that on our social medias when we get those updates. But it's it's unfortunate because of the sort of defender that Williams is, the IQ she has, the length, the athleticism, as well as the confidence she's had lately on the offensive end that's really helped her be a key contributor. So uh, I know that a few weeks ago, Bell picked her as her uh, player of the week um, and looked for more confidence 
from Williams. And then in game one and two against uh, Washington, Williams was really able to get after the Mystics and make a big impact. So we'll see uh, when we might get Williams back, but I'm not necessarily banking on seeing her in game three. Looking to uh, team-related news, in that game one against the Mystics, Sue Bird was able to set a new playoff record. Bird uh, totals 12 assists in game one to move into the WNBA's all-time playoff assist lead at 342 and counting. So this is Sue Bird adding another accolade. It's nothing necessarily uh, surprising, but impressive, again, to see Bird continue to really looked determined to add a fifth title to a resume and finish out on a big note because, you know, I'll admit throughout the season, Bird is not a prolific scorer anymore. Um, Her assists have always been there. She's great offensively uh, in terms of facilitating, great basketball mind. But as the season has gone on and as we've gone into playoffs, Sue's playoff point uh, numbers have gone up. Interestingly enough, she only had two points in this game. So just to see the different ways that she continues to impact the game is very impressive. Uh, and again, it's with, with Sue, it's impressive. And you just look forward to seeing what she's going to do next. So looking ahead here to the rest of the series, uh, Seattle 1-0 currently in the series. They sit at a overall record of 25-14, and 14, which doesn't necessarily matter anymore. Game two is August 31st in Vegas with a 7 p.m. tip-off time that will be broadcast on ESPN2. And then game three of the series, which has been guaranteed, um, is September 4th at Las Vegas, pardon me, September 4th here at Climate Pledge Arena at noon. That's an ABC game. So that'll be broadcast nationally. Um, And again, if Seattle is able to lock down game two, which is no easy test. I don't want to say that that's, you know, for sure. you're looking at a potential clincher game here. I know that uh, I think they've sold out the lower bowl already. They're looking into upper bowl seating. So if you want to be there for that, if you haven't been able to watch Sue Bird, you've got September 4th open, you got to come out. These games, the, the atmosphere is incredible. It's playoff basketball. This is uh, a lot of fun to see. And, you know, any team playing for a title in the city, you've got to support. That's what we do here. That's what we do. Uh, that's the sort of light we aim to shine on these teams. Um A game four would be September 6th versus Las Vegas here. I don't believe that time is official. If we have to go to a game five, that would be September 8th in Vegas. So there's that August 31st game two in Vegas, 7 p.m. on ESPN2. September 4th versus Vegas noon here in Seattle on ABC. That's all we got to worry about for the moment. Heading over to our Sounders here who, you know, I, I said again at the top of the show, Mathematically, they're still in it, but at the current point in time, things are looking a little difficult. Over the past week, Seattle traveled down to Portland to play the Timbers at Providence Park, and things did not go well as Seattle would lose that game 2-1. to one. Player of the game, defender Alex Roldan, uh, the Roldan brother, brother that's currently playing, recorded one assist, an 83% passing percentage, and an 8.3 match rating. Uh, overall, this was a tough game. Um, Seattle got the first goal of the game late and early, pardon me, before half. Yamar scored on a header uh, from the uh, pass uh, off the cross from Roldan. And you think, okay, you come out early. This is a good sign. You get after it. Uh, it's exciting to see Yamar score a goal right before half. Portland equalizes and it's like, well, shoot. Okay, you're back to square one, but you're not losing. Late in this game, 
the Timbers are able to draw a penalty, which is a little controversial. It drew the ire uh, of, you know, replay review on Twitter. Um, basically, to recap that penalty, the only reason it was drawn, uh, Yamar, actually the defender, was trying to get out of the way of a Timbers player who was falling after making a pass, and a penalty was ruled against him. I think it's really ticky-tack. I don't necessarily think, you know, with the magnitude of this game, uh, that this should have been called but we can't do anything about it now. You know, you complain about the red file you want. At the end of the day, you should have to put yourself in a position to not have to worry about the referee's calls uh, to decide the outcome of the match. Um, with the win, Portland takes Cascadia Cup, which Seattle has held over the past few years. Um, so if you don't know, Cascadia Cup is a trophy uh split between Seattle, Portland, and Vancouver uh, that is determined by the amount of head-to-head uh, head -head points against those three teams that they earn against each other. So Portland wins that this year, unfortunate. Uh, you know, we might get some Portland comments under this. I understand it's a rivalry. Um, Seattle just has not been able to ultimately rebound after winning CCL. Yes, CCL is great. You win a trophy to be the best team in the North America region. Uh, that's you know something no MLS team has done in its current form, but you've had plenty of time to be able to rebound and set your season right in your own league and not have to worry about missing the playoffs. You know, we look at the current record. If you split your losses in half or even a third of them in uh, take a third of those losses and make them draws. We're in a playoff spot right now and we're not worrying about this, but Seattle just midfield has kind of collapsed since the loss of Jao Paulo, since Obed Vargas went out with injury and we probably won't see him. Christian Roldan is currently injured and he looked like an MVP for this team for a good amount of the season. So it's, it's been a tough draw for Seattle. This would be the first time that they missed the playoffs in their current MLS iteration, which you know, you're going to miss the playoffs eventually, but it's, it's tough. And it's just frustrating considering that, you know, you haven't seen the improvements uh, among this team over a pretty substantial chunk of time. So tough, but um, there's not much we can do about it. There's still a mathematical chance, but it's pretty unlikely considering that you're playing for a spot while other four teams are doing it as well. And, it doesn't get much easier as you still play a bunch of teams who are currently in the playoffs in playoff seating. So we'll take a look at that and we'll look at where we sit at record and standing wise. Seattle owns a 10 win, 14 loss, three draw record. They are 10th in the Western conference at 33 points. They're four spot, four points currently out of a playoff spot. So they've got to start stacking wins sooner rather than later. You see, we go on the road on August 31st to play the Orlando pride, which is no easy stretch. Uh, with a 4.30 p.m. start time. Bottom line, Seattle needs to start winning games. And with the current run of form, that doesn't look like a likely thing. So we'll take it a week at a time, but things are looking grim over there uh, for our rave green friends. So um, sticking again, I mean, all of the teams except for the Seahawks right now are dealing with playoffs and playoff related things. So that's nice to see, right? We'll look in the positive side of things there. Um, we look over to our OL Reign here who aren't currently in the playoffs, but are in a playoff spot and continuing to improve their standing. Uh, the rain went down to Orlando. Um, 
to play the Pride on August 26th. The Pride coming in with a seven-game unbeaten streak. Um, the Rain would win that one two to one. This is an impressive comeback victory. The Rain were down by one through a decent amount of the match. Uh, Megan Rapino would have a great play, uh, keeping the kicking the ball over a defender to herself, and then finding Bethany Balser's head for a header goal to equalize the match. And then late in stoppage time, Rapino would get a late goal to help give the Rain a win, give them three points, keep them solidly in fifth place in the NWSL table. She would earn our player of the game uh, with a 9.3 match rating, one goal, one assist, leading the game in chances created. So there are games to me in a regular season where you can sort of tell teams are going to be, teams have championship DNA. There's games like this. Games like the two to three comeback, three to two comeback win over Angel City earlier in the year, where you're down by two goals, you're able to fight back and get a winner late with your depth. This is a sort of a similar match, not as much so as that Angel City match I was just talking about, but with the run of form that Megan Rapino is currently on, having a, a goal or an assist or both in every game since the last international window, just to see how she's been playing lately, as well as knowing that you've got Bethany Balser, who is an incredible forward, having Tobin Heath on your bench, having Rose Lavelle, who's an all-world talent, having Jess Fishlock, who's the heartbeat of this team, who won the MVP of the league last year. Jordan Haitema is a 21-year-old striker that is all-world talent and just really getting comfortable with this team, having a back line of Alana Cook, Lou Barnes, Sofia Huerta, um, Knowing all of that is there, Sam Hyatt in and out. That's an incredible back line that's helped make you one of the better defenses in the league. And Fallon Tillis Joyce is having a breakout season in her first year starting. So this is a rain team that you should feel good about. They play at Lumen Field. We're there all the time. They are currently sitting two points out of second place in the league and four points out of first place with a good amount of time in this season to play. Seattle could take over the, well, Seattle, they're technically not Seattle by name, but by playing space, you know, uh, the rain could take over the number one spot in the league and win the NWSL shield for the third time in organization history. Uh, bottom line, you know, you want to get home field, have games go through Lumen field, but games like this, are what you look back at after a team has won a championship or had a deep playoff run because it showed you they had championship DNA. They were resilient. They've got depth. They're different. They set themselves a bar above other teams. That is, this game is one of those examples to me. So impressive. Uh, the rain will go on a little bit of a break here. They don't come back until the ninth to play a match, but this is so far, having come off of winning a tournament, the Women's Cup, with mostly your second team playing, just shows you you've got that depth that I was just talking about. So these are some really crucial re weeks for the rain to settle in and set themselves up for playoff seating. But right now, this is at the all throughout sports. If you come into the playoffs hot, you're the team nobody wants to play. And they keep things up. I won't say too much, but it, look, it looks good so far. In terms of uh, league-related news on the 20, 23rd, it was announced that an NWSL match will make history for attendance. The upcoming match between the San Diego Wave and Angel City FC will break the all-time attendance record previously set by the Reign uh, when they played the Portland Thorns uh, last year in the... Uh, 
Seattle Portland doubleheader at Lumen Field. It was in the 27,000 to 29,000 people range. And it's great to see that that record's broken. I would like to have kept that record uh, for the rain. But, you know, with a league like the NWSL that you want to see grow, this is really exciting to see. Um, And great to see that, you know, two expansion teams in San Diego and Angel City have fostered such a great fan base in year one. And you hope to just see that continue to grow and grow. so looking over to our standings and such, the rain sit at fifth in the NWSL table, as I mentioned. They have a seven win, four loss, six draw record, 24 points currently in the table, as I mentioned, two points out of second place, four out of first. The rain get a little bit of a break. They will play back here uh, September 9th uh, in Chicago against the Chicago Red Stars. So a little bit of a break for them, understandably so. They just played a tournament. They've been on the road for almost a month. Um, but they come back actually to play uh, the Red Stars at home, pardon me, at Lumen Field in the fan appreciation match. So we'd love to see you out there for that. So normally we switch over to Seawolves here or XFL uh, in the Seattle. I'm going to call them the Seattle Dragons, but that's not their official name yet. Uh, no Seawolves news for you. No Dragons news. Just going straight over to Star of the Week and considering what was said in the press release about it, considering this history he's made, I feel like it was relatively easy to go with Julio Rodriguez. Julio, uh, I mean, with the 2020 season so far, the potential to hit a 30-30 season, um, the gigantic mega deal that will keep him in Seattle until he's damn near 30, uh, the commitment to the Mariners, to this city, is really, you know, for a local, for a guy that, you know, loves all these teams a lot is really nice, you know, to know that someone wants to be here, that someone wants to help create a winning culture uh, on this Mariners ball club is important. And it's really exciting to see, gets you excited to see what this team will be like in the years to come. I know that the goal is to break the drought this year and they're on pace to do that. Um, But just to see what you do as a potential contender going forward also shows other free agents of this upcoming year and years to follow that you are committed to spending money. So all in all, this is a great deal for Julio to get him paid as a young man who has been a fan favorite for years since he signed internationally um, to the organization to the city itself, this is exciting. This is really exciting. Julio is a one-in-a-kind person and a one-in-a-kind player. So to see him get locked up on a long-term deal is great. And it's just exciting to see that going forward. So to wrap up the, what, the Seahawks just wrapped up the regular season and they will continue to make roster-related cuts so that they can get to the 53-man limit. The Mariners are still in the wild card spot. They're taking second overall. They have the chance to move up to first, but that'll be something that we deal with through September. Man, it's going to be a long month and a, a little month, uh, a month and a little bit more uh, before that playoff spot. That's going to be it's going to be exciting. The Storm took Game One against the Aces in the semifinals and look to hopefully keep that going uh, in Game Two. The Sounders have a tough go of things down in Portland, but are still mathematically alive in the playoff hunt. The Rain have a very important, resilient win against the Pride, and now we'll get a little bit of the time off. So all that being said, it's been an exciting time uh, this past week, and it should only get more exciting with the Seahawks in the regular season, the Kraken getting back into it with training camp sooner rather than later. 
it's a lot of fun. So uh, I hope that you enjoyed our first live broadcast of Certainly Seattle Sports on Converge Media. And until we see you in September, uh, enjoy the weather. I know it's heating up a little bit again. You know, enjoy it while you can because we'll get the uh, overcast back here soon. Until we see you again, do whatever you can to make sure today is a great day. Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.